0: Hello and welcome to Coach Cast by England Football Learning, the coaching podcast designed to give you expert insights, session ideas, and a platform to discuss your coaching questions and challenges. I'm
1: Jamie. And I'm Louise. Over this first series, our aim has been to help you develop more skillful players. To do that, we've spoken to seven FA coaches who have helped us dissect six important topics. Our experts also provided advice to grassroots coaches to help them overcome their coaching challenges.
0: Here we are, the final episode of season one. We've had a great time listening to grassroots coaches, as well as bringing you fascinating insight. And of course, who can forget excellent swift sessions, but the full-time whistle hasn't gone just yet for our final show. We're checking back in with two of our guest coaches to find out if the advice they receive from our experts has improved their coaching sessions.
1: We're also joined in the studio by FA national coach development lead, Bex Garlick who is on hand to give them any further insight that they should need. Hi Bex, welcome to the show.
0: Hi. Well, thanks for very much for joining us for our last episode of Season 1, Bex. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your
2: role at the FA? Of course, yeah. So I've been with the FA for the last 12 years, started out as a FA skills coach and then uh, moved into coach development, which I've done for the for the last few years. Um, so I was supporting coaches locally uh, in Manchester and then most recently I've uh, as you say, become the, the national coach development lead with a real focus on women and girls. Um, a key part of the role that I do and the, the team that I work with is to really try and identify and recruit more female coaches into grassroots coaching, uh, but also support and develop the ones that are just starting out on their journey. So um, yeah, really a really exciting role and one I'm incredibly passionate about, um, obviously being a female coach myself.
1: Perfect. Just before we get to our first coach, let's take a moment to look back at some of the best bits from our first season. Today, we're going to be chatting about creating the right environment for primary age kids. And the expert taking us
0: through this topic, Pete Sturgis.
3: Being skillful is the expression of what they're capable of doing with their with their body, with the ball, and with the decisions that they make. What we want to try to do is put some things in place so that whatever potential the child has got, that begins to show through, because if the environment's right and the approach of the coaches is appropriate, what we get the children to do is to relax, know that mistakes are accepted and tolerated, then suddenly you've got children who are trying new things, but they're also developing more and more capability when they play football.
1: The skill of moving with the ball. Sui Smith and Vinnie Houseall.
4: We need to really encourage them to to take on players and be confident and positive and stop from the sideline shouting pass when we see it as adults. Um, Let them make their own decisions and if they lose possession, still encourage them.
0: I talk to uh, a lot of the coaches and the teachers that I work with to encourage the children to play like meerkats. Encouraging the children to play with the head up to what we call scan, check shoulders, whatever terminology you want to use. I think that's really, really important.
5: Turning. It's James Richards. If you feel like you can't turn or you're not confident in turning, you're just going to panic. You're then not, you're not going to be able to do the things that you want to do with the ball. If you want to travel with it, if you want to make a first-time pass or whatever, you, you, you can't do that if you're, if you're panicking. The more opportunities they get and the more confident they feel and the more likely to try it in, in games. Um, there's nothing wrong with guiding and showing types of turns um, as a coach, but allow the children then to take that and go, in, go and explore it themselves. You want them to be adaptable. To encourage them to look around. Don't forget that part because that's what's going to guide what they do.
1: The art of passing and receiving. It's a large
3: lot. If I want to pass a board to a teammate, I've got to have that social connection with, with him or her. Um, so I kind of know where he or she's going to move or like how how he or she likes to receive the ball when you're working with your players on the pitch you know sometimes you might ask the player like how do you like to receive the ball how do you feel when when the ball's coming to you do you like the ball bouncing or do you like it in the air as you work with the players for for a bit longer you'll understand their kind of traits you know to get their buy-in is asking them as well that's where me as a coach will start planning effectively to ensure that the players learn and develop
1: pressing.
0: It's Chris Welburn. I think it's really important for coaches to start to understand um, not only for themselves but for the players in terms of reading the play. So, you know, ultimately, where's the danger? Where's the ball? Um, You know, what's the opponent's uh, problems they're trying to cause us? Learning takes time. There needs to be repetition within that process. It can't just be We had a problem on Sunday. We've worked on it on the Tuesday night for 30 minutes and it's all going
6: to be fine. Finishing, it's Sarah Loudon. I think it's the most important part of the game. If we score goals, we win games. It is a scoring game. If we can get kids and players to be really confident and in the mindset that they want to score goals, they want to practise this skill in a range of different techniques, then I think that is the most important thing we need to go after.
1: I really enjoyed listening back to that and kind of reflecting on all the people that we've spoken to. Did you have a
6: favourite
2: episode
1: or a moment from Coach cast
2: One of the things that I think really jumped out for me, because it, it certainly related to what I'm trying to work on with the players I work with at the minute, was probably Vinny's meerkat moment um i'm really trying to work with the under 12s that i work with around getting used to scanning and looking before the ball arrives so that they can start to to see and understand the picture and then that ultimately has an impact on the decisions that they make it, it has an impact on their positioning perhaps their movement their timing um so yeah lots of work on that and i, I actually Caught myself um, talking to them about meerkats last week when when we were in training just to try and get them to understand because I, I tried a number of ways to to encourage them to to scan and and look at the picture as they they received the ball so yeah I think it worked quite well because they they started to do it a little bit more so that's definitely my my moment and something that's really helped me with my own coaching. <laughs>
0: Now it's time to catch up with one of the coaches who joined us earlier in the series. Julie from Liverpool came on Coachcast to chat to Sarah Loudon about finishing, and we want to find out what's happened since. So, welcome back to the show, Julie. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. Oh brilliant stuff. Well, just before we dive into a few questions, let's remind ourselves of what Sarah said to you.
4: So, my coaching challenge is around limited space, balls, equipment, that kind of things, and the number of players. And if there's only me or another
6: coach, two coaches, how would you facilitate that um, when you've got half a pitch? If there's two two of you as, as coaches, actually you can do dual practices side by side. You might have six to eight players involved at once and it's almost like a mini game, but actually the focus is on finishing the movement, the positioning that they get themselves into. We don't need a lot of footballs. We don't need to have uh, an area necessarily right in front of goal as well. This could be anywhere if you've got a target. You don't necessarily need a goalkeeper. You can just set targets in the goal, keep it like a bit of a game and you know, keep it competitive so they've got a, a bit of competition to it as well to keep it realistic and the tempo right.
0: So, Julie, we've got Bex in the studio with us today to ask you a bit about your experience and potentially give you some advice. So we'll pass you over now.
2: Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Bex. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How did you find that first episode of Coachcast
4: with us? Really good. Really good. I enjoyed the conversation with Sarah and she gave me some really good ideas. And I I, I really like the idea of the start and the session with the shooting, with the finishing, with, you know, with that kind of, because I think it develops mindset rather than just kind of as a reward at the end of practice. I, I really like that, framing it like that. So, yeah, I, I got a lot from that. So
2: I think last time you were on, Sarah gave you um a bit of a, a session to to try and have a go at, to bring out that finishing and to try and manage some of the challenges that you face. So do you want to just tell us a bit about how that went for you?
4: Yeah, so the session Sarah sent me, I, I was hoping to do it, but I realised that we wouldn't have two goalkeepers I mean, I could have used pug nets, but I chose to go with the session I went with, which was actually goal scoring with inside the 18. With the numbers I had, um, I felt that this would be more applicable. So what we had extra players, which is always the way when you kind of never really know who's coming. Um, So I just made the area a little little bit bigger to facilitate that. Um, So basically an attack versus defense inside the 18. And I think it was 5v5. And then we had four points of feeders or servers, I think. Um, the FA learn and talked about feeders on the outside, and I numbered them off. And basically, a ball came in to the attacking team from one of those numbered people, and they looked to try and score. So that was kind of where, where how it started. And we talked a little bit about the types of finishes: one touch, two touch, multi touch. But obviously, inside the eighteen yard box, really multi touch finishing is probably not a realistic option. So it was focusing on the other two.
2: That sounds great. That sounds like you've um, you've put something on that's really going to help them in the the area of the pitch that you're really trying to to work with them on in in terms of this finishing. And it, it sounds like you've used your step principle really well there as well to to just adapt the space and make it a little bit bigger to uh, to uh, adapt it for the the increase in numbers. I certainly am uh, with you on that one. It's always a nightmare, isn't it, when you think you're having a, a certain number and then a few more turn up or, or a few don't turn up. So I understand the, the challenge there. Um, just a, a few tips on future challenges where you might only have one goalkeeper. So uh, a few things that I've tried previously. I know you, you said you could have adapted the equipment and used the, the pug goals or the pop-up goals. You can also, in, if you're using your bigger goal, you can also put things like time bibs to the to the crossbar or the post, so they can try and aim for the top corner. Or you might have um, use cones and or have little gates in the in the bottom corners just to help them with their accuracy and and almost mimic that. Trying to shoot away from the keeper, even though the goalkeeper's not there. So that if you're ever stuck and you've only got one goalkeeper, but you can see that the the practice you're trying to do has two, then they're just a couple of tips that you could use uh, if you don't if you don't have a goalkeeper. Um, so just how did that session go? How how was it for you? How did the the players respond to it?
4: Um, good. I think they understood the context because we struggled with that. We had two things last week. Was one was breakaways. The other one was actually in and around the box. So it was it was quite timely. So they understood it. The biggest challenge really was initially was when a feeder plays a ball in, everybody runs towards the ball um, and squeezes a, an already small space. Yeah. So that was that was the, that was the biggest challenge. So it's then challenging them. Can you? create space for yourself to receive and or for somebody else. Yeah. And then the last bit was really once you've been able to do that, are you able to shoot? So if you're able to shoot... Or how many touches are you taking? Because if you take three, four touches, bang, you're already closed down. It's too many. So you need to be thinking about about that. And I think the awareness piece, which was right at the start, is that scanning to see where the defenders are. I think that there's a difficulty there because the difficulty was they didn't know where their own teammates were. So if they're not sure where their own teammates were, it becomes difficult to know where the defenders are also. So that scanning piece is quite difficult, just as I mentioned in the moment. For, for players, I think if it's not something that's talked about constantly, constantly, constantly,
2: I'm certainly having that challenge as well around trying to just get them to scan and look around before the balls even come into them. I think it's just trying to be consistent with your messages. You know, we're not going to nail that down just in one week or one session. So it's just about being consistent with with the messages. And it sounds like that you were. Um, trying to use some almost what we'd call relate challenges by by speaking to the players and saying, can you try to, to finish with a, a first-time finish? Can you try to only use one touch? So again, trying to use some real positive coaching methods there to, to try and bring that out of your players. Um, another thing you could try, if if that's a particular element that they're struggling with, because I think we were talking before, what, what did you call it? A, a safety touch, did you say, that they often take? Yes. I love that phrase. Tell me more about
4: that. So basically, there's one of the things I've noticed. They recognise the ball needs to go, but actually there's doubt. So they take a safety touch and think, oh, did I see it? Oh, yes, I did. Well, by that point, that's over. It's gone. And so I think there's an element of lack of trust in themselves that I saw it and I pass it. And instead they go, I saw it. Oh, I'm not sure. By which point they've taken another touch and, and everything's gone.
2: And I think um, that's you showed really good understanding there of the the group of players that you've got in front of you. And it's brilliant that you're starting to recognise that self-doubt. And again, I think that trust, almost trusting themselves, is something that you'll you'll build over time, I'm sure. One thing you could try is what we call a, a reward challenge. So if you were playing that game again, um, if they score with more than one touch, then it's still a goal, so they still get a point. But if they score with a first-time finish, you might reward them with three goals just to try and almost encourage them to, to just try it because training is the right time to try that stuff, isn't it? Um, so by rewarding them, you they're probably more likely to do it because they, they want that three goals and they're competitive and they want to win and do well. Um, but it just might help them try things. And as they start trying it and it starts to just pay off, then they'll probably see the benefits of of not taking that first touch if they don't need to. Right. Um just wanted to pick up as well on what you talked about getting them to to create space and and all probably going after the ball and um one thing that you you might do and one thing that's worked well for me previously is almost splitting your area up so you could either split it into three channels across across the box if that's the area of the pitch you're working in or you could split it up into grids mm-hmm. um so you've almost got different areas and again it's just about challenging the team to say that so if i if i've played uh with a, a grids area for example i might say that you can never be in the same grid as one of your teammates so they just it takes them a bit of a while to get used to the grids and and find out and work out where they are but once they've worked it right. out they just know that if they can't be in the same grid as their teammate they're gonna have to move to somewhere else in in the area um or you might say that can we try and if you if you go with the channels approach, can we try and occupy all three channels? So again, you just get that spread rather than them all go into the to the same area. So that's just a a bit of a top tip that that might help you to create that, or that might help to encourage the players to create that space. Was there any any other challenges or anything else that you had with that
4: session? It's it's recognition from the players of what's happening. Like a couple of times, it happened where somebody actually managed to receive a ball. But I had to take somebody on down the sides and everybody was behind them. So when that person gets down the sides, how are we gonna score? And if we are gonna get into that area, what kind of finishes are we looking at? How many touches are you gonna to get to be effective? So it's it's the recognition of of can you finish on that one touch? And having the confidence to do it, I feel like it, there's a, it's a confidence thing and a mentality thing with finishing. It's just trying to recognise the ball's over here. Where do we need to be in order to finish that? Exercise, finish that off.
2: Yeah, and again, the, if you've got your different areas within your within your pitch, that might that might really help because that allows you as the coach to to step in if you need to and almost say actually, like which is the best grid to be in now with the ball in that particular position. Um, so again, just splitting your area into to grids or channels can be, be really beneficial.
4: Yeah, I really like that idea, actually. I'm going to try I actually spoke to a friend of mine last night about this exact thing, and I love it. I love the idea of it. So yeah, I'm going to try it, definitely.
2: Brilliant. Um, well, it sounds like you've had a really good go at that, Julie. So um, thanks for sharing that with us. And hopefully some of the, the, uh, the ideas we've talked about today might just help you to to move that session on and make it even better yeah
4: for sure thanks very much bex thank you brilliant well
0: thank you very much uh, for your time julie uh, hopefully over both episodes you've uh, picked up plenty of tips and uh, and can go away and, and apply them to your next coaching session
4: yeah surely can i really appreciate the help and advice thanks very much
1: Next, we're going to hear from the grassroots coach who featured in our third episode, Turning, with James Richards. It's Jordan from Leeds. Hi, Jordan. Welcome back to Coachcast.
3: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: So first, let's recap what your challenge was and the advice that James gave you.
3: With turning, there's technical aspects. So I want to try and avoid the session becoming too repetitive and too unrealistic. So my challenge is how can how can I avoid that?
5: I would say, consider multi-directional and directional practices, um, I would have, uh, I would include opposition, maybe overloaded, so there's maybe only three or four defenders, so players can, can kind of choose when and how they're going to turn in, the, in that particular environment.
3: How would you sort of create a session to promote creativity and to get them to explore different ways of turning and practice those techniques?
5: If you have a whiteboard, for example, you can ask players to maybe list the turns they know or demonstrate turns and and, and you show them. Uh, You write them on the whiteboard like uh, a and Crosses. Uh, When you're playing the game, if one of the players does that type of turn, they can come over and mark off on the board that they did that turn. Your role is to obviously observe and just see how they're progressing. They're recognising that they're trying and doing different types of turns.
1: So Jordan, we've got Bex here to talk through your experience of Coachcast last time and offer you any help with any other further challenges that you might have. So I'll pass you over to Bex.
2: Hi, Jordan. How are you? Hi, Bex. I'm
3: good. Thank you. How are you?
2: I'm good. Thank you. Um, just for a bit of context, just remind us who you're currently coaching. What age group are they?
3: So I'm coaching at Bradford Park Avenue and I'm coaching there from the 12s.
2: And are they boys, girls mixed? Uh, they're boys. Can you just tell us a, a bit more about um, what that advice what thoughts it provoked, I guess, and and what you've done since you got that advice?
3: So James basically said, like try and do it in a match environment, a game environment, which is obviously tricky because you're trying to, you're trying to, you're also trying to um, coach the whole group and make sure that all of the players are, are trying to execute those elements that you want to put into the session. So, so it was how to structure the session. So I went to, so I, I did a whole part whole. So started with a match and started to tease in what we were gonna be focusing on and then broke that down into um, to a game related practice and then back into a game again. And that, that was really successful. When you're doing it in a game environment as well, Especially when they're under 12, the competitive nature kicks in and all they're focused about is scoring goals. So you're trying to focus them on turning and all they want to do in a game is score goals and win. So my challenge was how can you keep them focused on practicing those elements, which was a challenge. So the first week I went back to them, That was difficult because they just lost focus. Then I implemented one of James's advice, which was to use a whiteboard to give them a bit of learning ownership. So I asked them at the start of the session to list some turns and got some demonstrations from the players on those turns. And we focused on four to start with. And once they'd executed a turn in the match, come to the whiteboard, tick which one they'd done, and whichever team they were on, they all added up. So goals counted, but also turns counted, and acted as points. And at the end, we combined the goals and the turning points to decide who the winner was. So that was quite. I did that in week two, and that was a lot more successful because then they started to realise what they needed to do in terms of not only score goals but do the turns as well.
2: And um, and how did that? How did the the players find that? What did you What did you start to see from the players as they were? playing in these game-related practices.
3: The heat naturally 12 year olds push it to the extreme so even when they're unopposed they're there going around and around in circles doing every turn under the sun so it, which is good because they, you know kids are great like that they just push the boundaries and then you kind of realize oh wait hold on i need to i need to focus this in a little bit more and make it a bit more relevant so then we 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 made sure that they were doing it in relevant situations not just turning for the sake of turning because it literally got something to tick off and also when i was coaching make making sure i praised the moments when it was done in the right environment um because sometimes some of them were overturning um and turning themselves into trouble so it was kind of making sure that it's it's put into relevance and i think that helped them to connect the the technique uh, because when you're running up to cones and just doing turns um it it And in a game, they started to realize, oh, okay, this is a tool that I need to use in certain situations, not every situation, but just certain situations. So so yeah, so it was really helpful. It it challenged me to think about the session a little bit differently, and, and then how to make sure that you implement that sort of category that theme within a within a match so so yeah that was really interesting
2: i've done similar sessions before and and i found that by almost challenging them to execute the technique in different situations that like you say are more relevant to the match you tend then as the coach to to see that little bit more and and start to go in with more coaching points around their timing of that execution because you you start to see that actually once they're up against that defender, if they don't quite get the timing right or they're not quite positioned against the de- defender to execute that turn, it's not going to pay off for them. So did you find that as a coach you were able to to step in and go into that a little bit more detail because you'd set the practice up more relevant to the game?
3: Yeah, I, and, I, and I think that is, um, it, it made it more position, position specific because I think, With turns, you know, when you talk about step overs and, 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 you know, drag backs and things like that, I think naturally a lot of people go towards using that in an attacking situation. But what I actually learned from seeing it in the match, when, like you said, when you stand back, I saw defenders executing it as well. And then, like you said, you were able to go over there and and even goalkeepers, when they had the ball at the feet to, you know, to sort of faint, they're going to pass out to a defender one way and then quickly make a turn and then go out to another way. So it was great because it kind of, it put it into different contexts and different situations. And then, like you said, you were able to go in and say, that was a really good, that's a really good way to use a turn relevant to your situation. Cause sometimes I think goalkeepers can feel a little bit left out. What's this going to be? I'm not going to run into the pitch and take plays on, but then you kind of, you highlight those moments. that you kind of like, I oh, see you did a turn then. You changed the, you changed the direction of play. So, so yeah, that was really helpful just to be able to stand back and see it in a more, relatable environment
2: yeah I think the way that you facilitated that as the coach as well to allow them to pick some of their own skills that they want to show but also give them the freedom to, to try some other ones and I think that's always one of my favourite parts of sessions like that where that that deception element the, the kids are just brilliant at it because they're so creative and They just want to catch out their opponent, don't they? Just to try and um, almost establish themselves within the group. So, yeah, that's brilliant. Um, Has there been any challenges as you've tried this stuff out? Anything that you're you're still struggling with a little bit or you're not unsure about?
3: I think the challenge was the the creation of the session. So I think that was the issue. Like I said, the, the week one, I did it without the whiteboard and it was a little bit after the session, I kind of thought back, well, actually, did they... Were they doing the turns, you know, naturally without being provoked or nudged? Um, and then the second week, when the whiteboard was there, there was definitely more focus. Um, so, so I think that was that was the challenging part. So, and it, it definitely took a couple of weeks to. Um, Like I said, if you'd done it week one and then reviewed it, it would have been a, you probably would have said, yeah, it didn't tick the boxes, but actually having having done it over a four week period and sort of doing little tweaks and changes, um, this last, I actually did the last session with them yesterday um, and the first part in the match, um, I just got them into the match and didn't really talk about turning or what kind of turns and um they were doing it (laughs) it was great it was one of those moments where you could just sit back and go oh my god they're turning and they're doing it in the right situation and players that wouldn't have turned before were starting to realize when and how to do it so um so yeah i think it was just the, the the creation of the session so i think as i go into the next topic it's kind of now how can i do something relevant to that and when you're doing the practice it's kind of how to reward the turn in a realistic situation if that makes sense so yeah i think it was kind of understanding the session structure was the main challenge
2: yeah some fantastic reflections there and i think what you've what you've really demonstrated is the importance of working on things over a, a period of time and it, i think you've just proven there that by working on that for four weeks, just how much some of that learning has been ingrained within the players and through your consistency, but also those little tweaks to the sessions, the players have started to pick it up and and almost do it without without you needing to, to remind them, uh, which is brilliant. Um, we were chatting about this the other day and I, I don't know whether it's something you might want to go away and try is... We talk about locking players into zones and whether we should or or shouldn't do it, and what are the what are the benefits and what of what are the trade offs. And I think sometimes when I am working on turning sessions, that is the time where I do like to lock players into certain zones because what that allows you to do it it allows you to pair them up um, and play about with who you're pairing them up against. Um, but even if it's in like the final third and they're they're one v one in there or they they've they've really got to think about how they pin themselves to the defender to then turn and shoot. Um that can be where locking locking them into a zone can be really beneficial. So that might be just something that you you try and, and adapt your sessions so that again it's it's relevant to situations that they'd they'd find themselves in a game, but again you might just um reward them for things like receiving with their back to goal and, and turning to shoot and things like that. So yeah, just something that you might want to to have a think about but there's definitely benefits and trade-offs to locking players in so I'm, I'm not saying lock them in all the time <laughs>
3: <laughs> no and, and it's it, what you just touched on there was quite um, I think it was the second week in um, and I, I reached out to James again to talk about the session and it was interesting because he was kind of like I think you I think I think you're touching more onto receiving and I think so there was some I guess that's another element where I was a bit confused because there's, there's turning but then like you said there's the receiving element so I can understand having maybe three zones because maybe a midfielder would probably receive more with their back towards the goal to pick it up from a defender and then have to do a relevant turn to, to then create that into an attack and then like you said a striker might have a different type of turn in order to turn in order to get a shot off so yeah I, th- I think that could have a place in terms of to make it a bit more sp- um, position specific, so they they understand in different parts of the pits. Then they also might have to do a different type of turn um, or receive in a different way. If that makes sense,
2: yeah. And I think you make a really good point there because everything interlinks, doesn't it? And that's what you get from a game related practice. It it all starts to come together and I think that's what can be really challenging for coaches when they're trying to notice things and observe things and really stick to what they're what they're working on that particular night and I think again that is just the challenge for us as coaches to keep in mind yes we are working on that turning so really trying to observe and notice the times where they're doing that and then that's where we feed in with that bit of feedback um around what we've noticed but really keeping it specific to the turn. So we're not we're not almost going off in on a different tangent and, and talking about receiving but I also don't think it's a bad thing either if we do touch on that because how you receive ultimately affects how you how you turn. So I, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about that but maybe just thinking about your your language and some of the feedback that you're using when you're working with them really trying to keep it specific to that particular topic. Um, Jordan, that's been a, I've really enjoyed that that conversation. It, again, like I said, it's I work with under 12s and it's something that I'm really trying to uh, challenge them to do. So you've given me some tips as well. So thank you
1: for that and, and good luck with the rest of your coaching.
3: Great, thank you for that.
1: Well, thanks again, Jordan. It's been really good to hear from you and hear that some of the coaching advice has helped you in your journey. So good luck for the future and keep up the good work.
3: Thank you
0: we're coming up to the end of the final episode now and it only seems fair that we give you the chance to have a go at our swift session feature becks this is where we challenge our guests to come up with a session idea that relates to the theme of the episode but as this episode doesn't have a specific theme you have the chance to give us your favorite session as a bonus for our listeners
1: all we need from you is something that's fun, engaging and gives the players a chance to be skillful. It can involve any number of activities, but you'll only have 30 seconds to explain your ideas. Are you up for the challenge? I am. I'm going to talk about a session that I'm doing
2: tonight, actually. So it'll, it'll give me a, a good chance to get it right in my head before I talk the players through it. Yeah. Um, Can I give a bit of context? Is that all right? Yeah. I work with a team of under 12 girls um, and we're really trying to challenge them to work on their technique of receiving, uh, receiving under pressure, really getting them to think about their receiving decisions as well. So can they almost scan before the ball's arriving, think about where they need to position themselves. Do they need to move anywhere to receive it? Um, Do they need to almost move towards the ball and and think about their timing? And then obviously that technique of actually receiving it and where they're taking their first touch uh, to help us either play forwards or to, to help them play towards what they've almost scanned in that that pre-picture if you like so it's going to be a target game if that's all right which is one of my favorite activities to
1: do no that sounds good okay i'll get the timer out and put 30 seconds on if you're ready time starts now
2: okay so it's going to be 1v1 in the middle so i don't need loads of space in that area it's probably going to be a a box but then um on the outside we're going to have a, a target player so the idea is that the target player plays the box into the middle uh to to the the player that's wearing the same bib as them that player's got to try and receive it obviously under pressure from their opponent and play it out to the target player on the opposite side um and that's it really
1: perfectly timed i think you had a little bit of time to spare anything else that you feel like you've missed out or you wanted to add any further context to it i
2: think um what i really like about target games is that there's just so many different adaptations you can use for them to to bring out different things so for example in in that game there um y- you could have you could allow your target player to move so every time they've received the ball they've got to to move across the end zone if you like so that when the ball's played in the player in the middle is receiving it from a different angle each time and um, you can adapt it based on your numbers so it might be that you have two target players on either side and again to get them receiving it from different angles and just the timing of the ball coming into them and getting them to then move to receive you could have a target player playing it across to the other target player who then plays it into the middle um, just to try and almost change the picture for the the defender and also the receiver. Um, You can obviously make it bigger. You can add more numbers uh, centrally. You can can put opposition up against your target players. So they're also working on their receiving uh, and their movement to receive as well. You can... Uh, you can let them freely move on the outside of the box or you might have a specific box that they're almost locked into. So this might be where you might be, if you were flipping it, so you weren't no longer re- working on receiving, you might be working on your passing. You're really getting that passing accuracy out because they've, they've now got to play it into a, a specific box and really try and play it to, to their um, their teammates' feet. So yeah, I just really like target games. There's, there's loads of different things that you can do with them um and it's just really just using your step principle adapting your space your task your equipment and your players to to meet the needs of either what the objective is of the session or what you're trying to work on with your players great stuff beck so
0: i hope that session goes well for you tonight uh, but thank you very much for joining us on coachcast thank you Right, that's all we have time for today. And that's it for CoachCast season one. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. In fact, we'd love to hear what you thought of this season. So let us know by contacting us via coachcast at thefa.com or by tagging CoachCast into any discussions you have on the FA community you can always subscribe to our YouTube channel, England Football Learning, where there are tons of great resources to help you with your coaching.
1: And you can also follow us on Twitter, where our handle is, at England Learning. That way you can keep in touch with all of our content. Coachcast will be back for season two. So keep an eye on our social media channels and wherever you get your podcast from. If you subscribe to Coachcast, you won't miss an episode.
0: For the last time, this series, from all of us at England Football Learning, thanks for listening.